0: Hmm. Hey, Andrew. Andrew, our recorder uh, over there. Go back a long, long way, a long way. It's nice to see him. It's funny, I've been on this path for so long. There's so many different um, stages or phases, Um, so many different teachers along the way. really amazing. So many friends. It's, it's, a, it's, ama- it's an amazing path, this um, path of awareness, and that's what I'm going to, of course, talk about this evening. Um, tonight I'd like to emphasize or highlight uh, certain qualities that, what I would say, tend to be very elusive. Elusive. Um, for many of us in the West. So I want to talk about relaxation and ease, ease of mind, and touch upon freedom. There's more to say about freedom later, but touch upon freedom. And when we talk about relaxation and ease and freedom, um, it's within a Vipassana framework. It's within the framework of insight meditation Uh, because, of course, there are lots of different Forms of relaxation, lots of different concepts about what that means. But what certainly I've seen, and and I think folks who have been on the path for a while, is that it's a very powerful um, journey. It's a journey that facilitates really quite a profound transformation in consciousness. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. You know, words don't really describe the kind of transformation that one um, goes through in this practice. They really don't touch it. You know, they might kind of describe it, but, you know, we've had so much language and so many words, and um, they don't really touch the actual experience itself. But, you know, you you need to use language and we need to use words. And hopefully they make sense to us. Something resonates when we hear the teachings of the Buddha, or you know the Four Noble Truths, or uh, these very profound teachings. Um, you know they really are pointing to something. Uh, they're pointing to this path that that all of us are on right now. Many of us have been on it for a while. Even if you haven't been practicing, you know the path is wide and broad and, and deep and many forms of awareness practices, and this is one of them. So the path of awareness is both deep and wide. When we say deep, what we're talking about is this process where we're uncovering very profound truths about who we are and who we're not. We're learning to understand perhaps the most crucial question we can ask, which is, what's the nature of our suffering? And what's the nature, and is, what's the path for liberation? Is there a path for liberation? And what does that mean? In many ways, it's a journey from, <laughs> I really see this one. Clearly, it's a journey from confusion to clarity. Confusion to clarity. So it's deep. Invaluable. It's wide. We want to emphasize this fact uh, that it includes all aspects of our experience. You know, the te- all of us who teach at CIMC—that's um, really our orientation. You know, we have tremendous respect for the depth of practice and the crucial um, component or of, of formal practice of sitting and walking retreats like this. They're, they're incredibly invaluable for deepening one's practice, but it's very important to understand and to see practice in the framework that all aspects of your life are practice. You know, your, your emotions, your body, your mind, the environment that we're living in, relationships, your speech, your work, your values, the things that you aspire to. Those are all aspects of practice. They all require wisdom and compassion. And there's something to learn about any of those aspects of our life. And so everything is included in practice. So the key on the journey that we're on right now, it's a word that gets tossed around a lot, Become quite mainstream, which I'm sure is good. People need it. I remember when it uh, first became ma- more mainstream, which is, of course, mindfulness, what I'm talking about. Um, now, I mean, you know, it's everywhere New York Times, Boston Globe, I think even the Boston Herald talks about mindfulness now. Uh, you have to be in Boston to get that joke. <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, one of those papers. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the key. It's the thing that we emphasize the most. It's so, it's so important. It's a, it's a profound form of intelligence that rests within every human being. So it's an innate capacity. And that's, I think that's what's uh, beautiful about it, is that it's not restricted. It's not um, set aside for the special. And it's always there. You know, it's, it's a question of tapping into it, strengthening it, cultivating it. Gaining access to it, as I've said earlier, I think in the Q and A or somewhere earlier, um, you know, it's another form of intelligence, and and many of us have have developed the thinking mind to a great extent, and then sometimes when people've been around for a while, they create this. Um, I don't know, this idea that thinking is, you know, second class of thinking is, is, you know, you're not supposed to think. And When you're sitting in meditation and we're telling you to be mindful of your breath and you start thinking, then immediately you might think that you're doing something wrong or you shouldn't be thinking. And sometimes people come to retreat to try to stop their thinking. Uh, how's that worked out for you? Stop your thinking yet? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, don't try either. You know, that's going to... That'll create a lot of non-relaxation and ease. I guarantee that. No, but it's about moving into a different relationship with your thinking. That's the key. Thinking is a beautiful form of intelligence when it's guided by wisdom, when it's guided by clarity, clear seeing, or by compassion, you know, an open-hearted response to suffering. Uh, Thinking can be discerning, skillful. But oftentimes thinking is very deeply conditioned. It's limited by fear, anxiety, worry, desire, grasping on. Our history. So it can be very limiting. You know, oftentimes, as I said, I think I said in the Q and A today. You know, we seem to meet a lot of smart people. Um, all the time, actually, in the Dharma scene. And. Um, I think one of the strengths that was in my particular practice when I first came in, I came into this this practice when I was about I don't know, maybe 20. I think somewhere around there. I've been doing other spiritual practices kind of working my way to this in a very uh, circuitous way and found vipassana, found it mindfulness practice and and I'd say probably the strongest thing I had going because believe me, I had so many limitations and obstacles and Uh, really profound difficulties uh, that I would need to encounter along the way. Um, But the thing that I got really early in my life was that I was not going to be able to think my way out. You know, I was very aware of suffering from very early on. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. And try to figure out what strategy I could take or how could I relate to this, or how I could relate to that. And, and I spent a lot of time you know, just thinking, trying to, trying to figure things out. And at some point in my life I realized, right around this time, that, that I needed something different, fundamentally different. I needed to take a, a different approach. But I didn't really know what that was. I just knew what I was doing wasn't working. And you know, it was, in fact, it just seemed very repetitive. And in some ways, the world seemed to get smaller. Um, and So what I discovered, um, when I discovered Vipassana, insight practice, was mindfulness. You know, this, in, this quality of mind that just allows you to be with your experience um, without trying to think about it. But silent means uh, a knowing, uh, an observing quality of mind that allows the experience to be there. And we're just taking a look. And the quality of that looking or taking a look or touching with awareness, the quality is very open hearted. The very nature of mindfulness is that it is open hearted. You know, there's there's not a seed of judgment or condemnation or preconception in that moment of mindfulness, in that quality of mindfulness. So it allows us to meet the here and now. You know what I'm saying? Meet the here and now. In order to meet the here and now, you have to be in the here and now. And we're all in the here and now, you know, whether we know it or not. Just living our life, we're living in the here and now all the time, but we don't meet it oftentimes in a fresh way, in a way that allows us to learn or discover something new. And that's what insight meditation is designed to do: is to encourage to encourage uh, this exploration, this inquiry, this investigation, uh, this direct looking. It has nothing to do with belief systems, nothing to do with secondhand knowledge. It's not about somebody else's wisdom. It's about looking at your own experience, seeing how things work, and sometimes you have to keep seeing how things work until you're really clear that you don't need to do that anymore. Because certain kinds of habits of mind and things that we do, patterns, you know, they keep playing themselves out. They're very powerful. They're, they're, we've been practicing. Um, we're always practicing something, you know, through, by living our life. And a lot of times what we're practicing is unconscious stuff, you know, unconscious patterns, habits. And so they're strong. Very powerful. And I think the miracle of mindfulness really is that change can occur and it doesn't take forever. You don't have to change. You don't have to practice for 30 years and go on a 10-year retreat to observe change and transformation and growth and freedom. All the things that you can read about. No, no. They, you, never, you it, it's, it really is just a matter you can practice, start practicing now. And as we go along, whether it's in the retreat or in your life, change will occur by itself. Mindfulness transforms things. It opens things up. It frees up energy that's constricted and tight. It heals. It allows us to be in relationship. I mean, in a direct relationship to life. To our lives. Each moment. But it needs to be nurtured. Like anything valuable. It needs to be watered. It needs to be taken care of. Because as powerful as it is, it's not that accessible. It's covered up. It's covered up by, like I said, thinking, habit, uh, a, a lack of awareness that it's even there. You know, it's amazing, really, that you that you've come this far, that you've arrived here. Um, you know, the vast majority of folks are not on a path of awareness. You know, it doesn't mean that they don't have wisdom or compassion, but you know. A lot of people are not in a position to practice. The opportunity isn't there. Mindfulness is just... I know for me, certainly, when I... I didn't know what it meant to be mindful. I'm sure I had moments of mindfulness growing up, but I had no framework. I had no sense that when I'm suffering, or I'm feeling really depressed, or really upset, or feeling really hurt, or afraid of the dark, whatever it might have been, I didn't have any idea that you could just like, observe it, you could be with it. That would never even have risen in my mind. And so oftentimes folks don't know they have that power. But once you begin to practice, yeah, you can see it. You can begin to see it. You can begin to move into the present moment and pay attention and learn. So the power of mindfulness. Transformation occurs. Transformation of consciousness occurs uh, when we develop the ability to open up to other possibilities of relating. In fact, really, you could say that is what transformation is, is this uh, opening in the heart and mind uh, to seeing things in a very different way. And consciousness changes. It learns something new. It re-educates itself. It unlearns certain things. And it starts learning things that are really useful. I mean, extremely useful. Like what not to do, for instance. You know, like what, you know, the eth- you know, ethical guidelines, for instance. You know, there, a lot of it is, not everything is about like what not to do. But there's a lot of wisdom in not killing somebody. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in not stealing. You know, and those are practices that go on all the time. Yeah. So there's different ways that we can relate to our body, for instance, with the mindfulness practice. You know, we have so many concepts and images deeply conditioned by the culture that we're in about our bodies. My god, it's incredible. This is huge. Imp- almost impossible to escape that conditioning. You know how to meet your body. You know the way it is. Maybe it's uncomfortable, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. For instance, you know, experiencing your body is energy. Okay. Does anybody disagree that the body, body is an energy system? No, you're, you're all smart. You already know that. Yeah, it's an energy system. But think about what we do with that energy system, how we think about it. We don't think about it that way. If we did, we'd really, really appreciate it. And we wouldn't judge it like we do. We wouldn't identify with it. We wouldn't claim it as me and mine, because we all know the nature of energy is it's changing. Yeah. It's not somebody solid. It's not good or bad. It's not fat or thin, or it's not this or that You know, on one level talking about, of course. So mindfulness allows us to actually begin to experience energy in the body. You, know? you can see the ups and downs of energy throughout the day. Your body sometimes is uncomfortable, sometimes isn't. You get that sense you know, of the changing nature. As you settle into the retreat you, and we're nurturing this continuity of mindfulness, that's when we really begin to see in a much steadier way what the nature of the body-mind process is, because we're actually paying attention. So we see that the body is changing. It's going through all these different things. And we fight it. You know, We don't want it to feel a certain way, for sure. We don't want that pain. We don't want that discomfort. We want to be five pounds less. We want to be two inches taller. We want to look this way or that way. And so we struggle with the body. Mindfulness allows us to drop below the surface of all that conventional thinking. It's freeing to do that. It's freeing to even get a glimpse of that. The Buddha described mindfulness practice, this path of awareness, as swimming upstream. What I think he meant by that is that, first of all, it obviously takes a certain amount of effort, and we're discovering that, and we're trying to figure out and see for ourselves what kind of effort to make. And everybody here has made a tremendous amount of effort, I think, in order to just arrive at this retreat and to persevere through the day. So we can see that it does take effort just to be on a retreat and to put this kind of time in and to keep showing up. All of that takes a lot of effort, sure. But of course, the quality of effort, we're talking about relaxation and ease tonight. The Quality of effort needs to be gentle and kind. And that's a learning process. Because, as I said, just look at our, our relationship to our bodies, you know, a lot of it, it's around fear. But we're not that kind to ourselves a lot of times. You know, I know when I look in the mirror, I don't like celebrate and you know, like be, "Wow, great! You look tremendous!" Uh, you know, fantastic. You know, it's, you know, I kind of look at it and think, "Oh God!" You know. Anyway, that's my thing. Huh? See what I mean? <laughs> These conventions don't fall away very easily. <laughs> So body-mind, you know, that's one thing, boy. We are so identified with our thoughts and our minds. Think about that for a minute. Think of how identified we are with our thoughts and minds. We create and construct a solid self out of that process. And when we begin to sit, whether we know it or not, sometimes we don't realize we're having this insight. A lot of insights we have, we don't even know we're having them. We don't even know they're an insight. We think, oh, God. you know, But actually, it's an insight that can lead to freedom if we... Relate to it in a certain way, but just see, see look at what your mind has been through all day. You know, we've actually only been here 24 hours. Yeah, <laughs> sorry to remind you about that, but <laughs> I'm not discouraging you. I hope I'm pointing out a fact that one has a lot of experiences doing nothing, basically, and just paying attention and keeping life simple. And one of the main phenomena that we see is the mind is constantly going through its thing and changing. And a lot of times we don't like what the mind is doing, for sure. But you know it does change all the time. You know you're sleepy at two, and you, maybe you're not sleepy now. You're sleepy now, and you, you have energy at six. It changes all the time, and we constantly re- react and struggle with that. Um, but that's fighting the nature of reality. That's fighting the nature of the body. It's a, like I said, an energy system. It's in flux. The mind is changing. Thoughts are changing constantly. Moods, reactions—they come and go. And when we start paying attention in a steady way, and that's the thing about retreat—is we're encountering ourselves. But today, there used to be a therapy thing, wasn't there, in the '70s or '60s? Encountering yourself, something—it was kind of. What was it? Marriage encounter. Yeah, no, that wasn't it. It was something else. But it was—it was much more like um, forceful. But Yeah, that's one form of it, but there was, there was something else. It doesn't matter. Um, the point is, is we do encounter ourselves. And so we need to, uh, in this mindfulness practice, what facilitates mindfulness, of course, is cultivating a wise attitude in our practice. So here we have this form of intelligence that allows us to meet the here and now, without criticizing it, judging it, without any preconceptions, for instance, without any preconceptions that you shouldn't have that experience. Okay, so if mindfulness meets the body, it's not saying that pain shouldn't be there. It's telling us that pain is there, but it's not telling us that it shouldn't. And when we experience something, uh, uh, some peace of mind, it doesn't jump in and say, ah, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, it's, it's, it meets peace of mind. And so that's the beauty of it, is it allows us to meet the experience without uh, adding something, without evaluating it, without criticizing it. And so we can be ourselves, in a sense, in that space of mindfulness. We have that freedom to just be. Uh, we don't have to put ourselves in a box or limit ourselves in any way with all these preconceptions, whether it's preconceptions of the body, preconceptions of our minds, preconceptions of our relationships. Mindfulness allows us to be in relationship and actually be in relationship. And what I mean by be in relationship is being present, of course. Um, you know, connection whatever that might be. There's lots of, lots of, lots of different kinds of relationships, uh, of course. But when you're present, you really are in relationship. If you're present with the cashier at Whole Foods, if you're present with uh, the toll booth collector, if you're present at work, if you're present with your intimate relationships, it's different. Life is different. Those relationships are different. Your, your uh, sense of well-being changes. There's more energy and dy- uh, dynamic um, flow in that particular experience. Even just momentary encounters. I've actually had amazing momentary encounters with tollbooth collectors. Really. I mean, amazing. Sometimes I'll meet these tollbooth collectors, and of course, it's a very transient relationship. It lasts about five seconds. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing because Look, think about the work. And do, Does anybody do this for work? Okay, I've never met anybody on a retreat that did. Um, it's a pretty difficult job. I, I'd classify it as a, quite a difficult job. And I think if I was doing it, I wouldn't be a happy camper. I wouldn't like it. Standing, pollution, you know, the whole thing. I've met some toll booth collectors that are so kind That look at me. And when I thank them, like, they thank me back. You know, I mean, it's amazing. And I think, my God, I don't even think they practice vipassana. And here, you know, or anywhere is practice. They're just probably living their lives. Who knows? I mean, who knows? Point being is, they're amazing to be able to have that kind of an attitude in that situation. I don't think I could. I mean, I'd really have to practice like hell. In order to have that attitude, I'd be throwing the money back or something. You know, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I like that job, but I would take it as a practice and I'd work at it for sure. So I don't want to, you know. Whatever. Uh, so if you're not present, you give you money and you go, and it's just a hassle. But if you're present, it's different. You know, sometimes they're grumpy and not nice and rude and all that, but at least you're present for that. Then that's better. It's better than indifference or taking people for granted or objectifying people or being preoccupied with your own agenda. So mindfulness allows us to settle and relax into the here and now. It brings us into the present. And it's not a striving, trying, you know, there's effort, but it's a relax, it's learning to relax. And one way to relax is to cultivate wise attitude, as I said. And wise attitude in practice, it's this is so important to get a sense of what wise attitude is in practice. What we want to do, what we want to encourage in this particular framework, I'm not saying it's applicable to everywhere, but What facilitates this transformation that we're talking about, this pointing the mind towards freedom and liberation, inquiry, clarity, confusion, from confusion to clarity, is attitude. Cultivating this capacity to be allowing of what your actual experience is. In other words, in some ways, getting out of the way, working with all those preconceptions you know, it's tremendous the amount of preconceptions we accumulate. We're always comparing and evaluating. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's, I'm not joking, really. It's, it's not that easy to see sometimes because it's such a strong habit. But we, we compare and evaluate ourselves all the time. We can do that on retreat. This person's really quiet, not me. I'm really quiet. They are moving. You know, That's a good meditator. They look really peaceful. I'm not. I'm still sleepy. I'm still restless. I'm still bored that was a really good lunch. I hated that breakfast. Light meal was light. Uh, maybe not light. You know, who knows? You know we could have different different ideas about that. We should be grateful for light meal though. It used to be crackers and peanut butter. Just to keep that in mind. Um, so we compare and we evaluate a lot and that gets in the way. You know, all these ideas, all these agendas that we attach to. You come to a retreat, um, you know, I'm going to get this, it's going to go this way. I've spent my money, it's not cheap, i worked really hard to get here, Um, put aside a lot of things like my cell phone, and all the creature comforts that you might have at home, and, uh, you know, you damn well better get something out of it so that you can talk about it when you go home. yeah, we have these agendas, you know, like, a, like we want to improve ourselves, we want to fix something or, or something like that, and, and it's not to say that we shouldn't have aspirations or we shouldn't be inspired or we shouldn't work at changing ourselves. Of course we do, but we need to do it in an attitude that um, is humble, you know, that it, it, it's an attitude where we know we don't know. That's so important, it's a cr- tremendously freeing of one's heart and mind when you know you don't know, you know, and you practice with that spirit. Because we don't know, we probably wouldn't be here if we did know. And so we're here to learn. And what's the best way to learn is, of course, to take a look, but take a look with, the, with, the, with a spirit that's going to facilitate that learning process, of course. If we go in with an agenda or expectations or putting demands on our, ourselves, all we're doing is doing more of the same, which is just putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. So if we can begin to see those expectations that we might be having on ourselves, or if we begin to get that sense of striving or the pressure that we put on ourselves, and the places where we can see that is when there is a, a, a judging going on about how you're doing, or self-doubt arises. It starts chipping away at your decision to come or chipping away at your uh, uh, commitment to stay or chipping away at the inspiration that you felt when you first came. And now, you know, it's like it just doesn't seem, it seems flat or it seems, it, it seems like it might have been a mistake, whatever. And, and that's because we're encountering ourselves, but, you know, we're encountering ourselves with an attitude that's telling us that we should be a certain way or we shouldn't be a certain way. And it's tremendously freeing to begin to drop the shoulds and just be. And, and then the change that we aspire to actually starts happening. It doesn't come from creating an image of how you should be. Creates some ideal and then keeps striving to get there. No. no, that just creates more stress and non-relaxation in the mind. It gets in the way because some of the things we need to learn, we don't know what we need to learn. So we're actually discovering that. We know we need to learn something, but we actually don't necessarily know what we need to learn. You know, we're, we're kind of trying to figure something, you know, we're trying to discover something new that hasn't been part of our education, that hasn't been part of what we've been exposed to. It is, hasn't been necessarily a part that we've practiced for a long period of time. And so it's, it's fresh, it's, it's different. It's swimming upstream. It's, it's going up. It's bumping up against our habits. It's bumping up against our attitude that compares and judges. That's hard on ourselves. So one of the reasons why we emphasize so much patience is because we are swimming upstream. We are bumping. We're going to encounter ourselves and the things that we don't like about ourselves. And we can also encounter things that we love about ourselves more easily. More easily. Because we have this tremendous love and potential within us. You know, this tremendous wealth of compassion and kindness. And it's not something that you have to drag out or get from somebody else or any of that. It's, it's within us. We all know that, too. We do. We know, all know that. But we also know there's a lot of obstruction along the way. There's, there's things that block that flow, that block that natural, spontaneous, loving, connected feeling you know, that maybe we've experienced at times in our life, but it soon gets, it soon gets buried by um, all sorts of ideas about uh, who we should be, and maybe disappointment in that, or discouragement, or resignation. Maybe we don't think change is possible. We bump up against that conditioning. You know, we bump up against our history. All the, all the internalized messages and the things that we learned. Um, So letting go of all that, very freeing in the letting go process is one of relaxation, of course. Doesn't that make sense? Makes perfect sense to me. How do you let go? You relax. But what does relaxation mean? In our our culture it means entertainment, drugs, movies, music. I'm not down on a lot of that stuff, so the drugs and all that stuff is not so good. Uh, but, you know, watching a movie or t- t- going on vacation, those, those are, all, they are all, they can be very nice things to do and they can be very relaxing. But the, only, the limitation with that form of relaxation is it's conditioned. Certain conditions have to come together, and it can be a little bit disempowering in a way because it kind of distracts us or it kind of, we don't develop the resources sometimes that we need that we can then apply in our life so that we don't accumulate the stress, so that we're actually living our life so that we're not so desperate you know, for that escape. And we're actually developing skills in the situations that are stressful. And that's tremendously power, empowering. Because if we depend on all these other forms of relaxation just to get along, just to manage, it's disempowering, quite frankly. There's an investigative question that I found to be extremely helpful and useful and it's linked to cultivating this attitude that I'm talking about, which is more allowing. And the investigative question is something like this. You're sitting there and you're feeling sleepy and you've been sleepy for a while like maybe several sittings in a row, and it's a little bit discouraging. And you're fighting with it, of course. We've all been there. Or you're working with some physical discomfort. Or you're working with a feeling of just needing to get out of here or any of that, any kind of strong reaction or mental state. The investigative question is, is, And to me, it's an investigative question. It's not imposing something on yourself. It's not telling you you're supposed to have this experience. It's more a question of asking yourself, can I make room for this experience? Can I make room for that physical pain? Can I make room for the sleepiness? Can I make room for this restlessness and boredom, this feeling of wanting to get away? To me, that's a wonderful question to ask oneself. Because a lot of times we assume we can't make room, and so we're fighting with it. You know, it's very unconscious. It's very habitual. It's very, well, just what we're used to doing is fighting with it. But asking, can I make room for it? it it's an investigative question. It's not saying, I have to make room for this. It's a, it's a question. And for instance, when you ask that question, frankly, you might say no. Honestly. you might That might really be the gut reaction is no. And so what do you do then? Can I make room for the no? Can I make room for this aversion? Can I make room for this feeling of discouragement? And that, to me, that's such an important question to ask because I know that we're more capable than we think we are. There's possibilities that exist that we haven't thought of or seen that, we, that we wouldn't, it, wouldn't nec- it wouldn't occur to us that if we're fighting with sleepiness that, well, maybe I can just make room for that experience. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to have a ton of energy right now. It doesn't have to feel a certain way. You know, can I just let it happen? Let it be. What's the worst thing that's going to happen if you fall asleep on the cushion? Somebody tell me. Well, that's worse for everybody else. (laughs) The worst that's going to happen to you is you're going to fall asleep, which you might like, actually, when you get there. Yeah, that's the worst thing that's going to happen. But think of the struggle because of our attitude towards it. How much suffering can come out of that? And I certainly know sleepiness, and I certainly know the struggle around it. And most people that have done retreats, extensive retreats, certainly know it. And certainly in the first day or two, it can be a very prevalent, predominant experience. Uh, You have to be very patient, especially in the first couple days in general, both patient with the body, patient with the mind, patient with the sleepiness and the restlessness and the boredom. You really have to just kind of keep trying, keep putting your time in, keep making that choice to keep coming back. Uh, Because the first couple days of retreat usually does ask a lot of folks, especially in the first one, but sometimes even if you're experienced, you know, you get sleepy and you, you think you've, you know, you've been practicing for a while. You shouldn't get sleepy. You shouldn't be bored. You should always be interested. And, you know, those are the preconceptions that get in the way that cause stress and tension and non-relaxation. So this attitude of humility, of knowing that you don't know, the attitude that this is an inquiry process, I think that's very important. The intention of meditation practice is to learn. It's not about becoming. You know, it's not about accumulating. It's not about becoming a different person. It's not about building your ego. It's about letting go of, the things, of things that don't work. So, it's an inquiry. It's a, it's a taking a look directly for oneself. Knowing that you don't know. Just say one thing about another form of relaxation that um, <clears throat> comes out of meditation practice it it's this this kind of relaxation is all forms of deep relaxation that lead to freedom usually requires maturation and practice um, it comes through earnest effort, you know wise effort but earnest you know in other words you know. Putting your time in, valuing it, putting your body into it, you know, putting your mind into it. Two kinds I want to talk about briefly. Calm in the mind. Calm comes out of this meditation practice. It's a deep form of relaxation. And when we experience calm on deeper levels, we begin to experience freedom of energy we begin to experience joy. Sometimes almost for the first time. I mean, it's a a kind of joy that really does seem uh, different than maybe the joy uh, that we've experienced in the past. It really comes from a very deep place, a place that is kind of pointing to uh, the freedom that we're talking about, the really deep freedom that we're talking about, where it's not so much self-reliance, it's a recognition that you have what you need already. So it, it settles down that uh, craving or always looking outside of yourself. And that's a very deep form of relaxation that comes out of practice. And I think retreats are specifically to, do, uh, helpful, um, to help that facilitate that process. But finally, the kind of confidence that I think is rejoiceful, I don't even know if that's a word, but that's just what I feel like saying, uh, is the faith and confidence um, that comes about You know, when you develop the capacity to be with yourself, to meet yourself, not to be afraid of yourself, to recognize that this power was within you, that that you didn't know, and that um, conditions in life are less threatening. And you don't get as overwhelmed, and you're not forced to avoid as much. And that's faith in the practice. It's faith in yourself. And that's how it earned. You know, it comes through practice. But it's definitely freedom. Let's just sit for a minute. wanted to announce that um, we had put out a, a, the group interviews um, earlier this afternoon, and uh, there was a mistake on it. So we corrected it, and um, just want to remind you, uh, you know, group interviews start tomorrow and then we'll see the rest of you folks who are not on that list uh, the following day. Um, so um, check, double check. Uh, for your name because you might be at a different time or you might be seeing a different teacher. So just double-check. And we'll talk a little bit more about the group interview process tomorrow. I just want to make sure um, you will remind people to double-check after the 8.15 sitting. Uh, But that might be a little bit late if you were going to the 9.15. So check it this evening sometime. Thanks. And be mindful now as you make your way into the walking practice. Thank you.